Coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast, in the midst of COVID-19 and the battle there, advice from people who know it from personal experience. Today, we'll be talking about World Sarcoidosis Day, and we'll talk about how to survive the COVID-19 crisis, whether you're ordering groceries from the store or going crazy from all the isolation. As this disease has gone longer and longer, we've been ratcheting up our, our, our precautions. And a really good way to kind of get yourself to settle is to sort of, and then think about the things, give equal time to the things that, that make you happy. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. The foundation for sarcoidosis research is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to finding the cure for this disease and to improving care for sarcoidosis patients worldwide. Since its establishment in 2000, FSR has fostered over $5 million in sarcoidosis-specific research efforts and has provided disease education and support for thousands of individuals navigating life with sarcoidosis. Learn more about FSR and how they're supporting those impacted by this disease at www.stopsarcoidosis.org. Hello and welcome to the Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. I call myself the Sark Fighter, but if you're listening to this, we're all Sark Fighters, and that is what this is all about here on the Sark Fighter podcast. Today is World Sarcoidosis Day, Monday, April 13th, 2020. This is the day when we remind everyone about the ongoing struggle, the ongoing fight with sarcoidosis. Now, today is episode six, and I'll be talking with Jim Kuhn. Jim is a fellow Sark fighter and an advocate for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Then we'll also be talking with Mindy Buchanan. She is the patient engagement manager for the Foundation. Jim is hunkered down in his house. He's uh, taking great pains to be careful, and he'll be talking about all of that and all about how uh, he, in particular, is dealing with with the threat that COVID-19 presents to him because his immune system is very suppressed. And he'll be talking about some things that I think are going to resonate with you if you are a Sark fighter yourself. The foundation calls you Sark warriors. It's all the same group. And then Mindy will come on after Jim. She's extremely well-versed in isolation. Mindy has worked in her previous career with bone marrow transplant patients, uh, leukemia patients, uh, and they have to stay in isolation for 100 days, three months plus a little bit more, because their immune systems are essentially non-existent once they have had that transplant as their body begins to recover. So uh, they deal with a lot of time in isolation, and they were doing that long before this pandemic ever presented itself. So Mindy's going to give us some coping strategies for dealing with that. So um, first of all, just very quickly, since this is only episode six, the Sark Fighter podcast is uh, something that I came up with as a way for me to help 
contribute to the greater good with respect to sarcoidosis. Uh, I'm a professional broadcaster and news anchor at WSLS 10, the NBC affiliate serving the Roanoke and Lynchburg market in Virginia. And I just uh, went down with my uh, sarcoidosis journey down the path and I said, you know, what, uh, what, is, what would I be able to contribute uh, that isn't already being contributed in some way? And the podcast is what I came up with. So here we are and we've been interviewing uh, people who uh, either help with on the research end or other patients who are sharing their sarcoidosis story. Uh, and we're just, uh, we're working to raise awareness and, and help everybody uh, feel like they're not alone in this fight, gives you somebody else to listen to, somebody to think about. And by all means, if if you think this is a place where you might want to make a contribution, my email is always in the show notes and feel free to contact me directly. Lord knows we've all figured out what Zoom is all about. And that's just a great way to uh, join one another and to, uh, I can send you an invitation and you click accept and log in and it's very easy and all of a sudden we're having a conversation. And that's how I talked with both uh, Jim and Mindy for today's podcast. Uh, and my effort is to, is to get the word out there, no matter where you are. Uh, become an advocate for FSR, uh, as has Jim and Mindy is the person who manages that program. So we're all... We're all uh, well acquainted with one another, uh, Jim and Mindy, perhaps more than, than I am because they've been around it a little bit longer. Uh, but no matter what, uh, we're all here now. And then uh, we release this podcast normally every other Monday, but because April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, I'm doing a podcast every Monday. And so we'll have one next Monday. And once again, today is Monday, April 13th, uh, 2020 that I am uh, releasing this podcast. I actually recorded the interviews a couple of days ago, but all of this is very current. So um, the idea, of course, on World Sarcoidosis Day is that we all wear something purple. We take a selfie or a photo. We post it on our social media accounts and we shout from the rooftops to let people know that it is Sarcoidosis Awareness Day and that it is a real struggle for so many people. And when, by the way, when you do that post, Let's put out the hashtag, and this is coming directly from the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, hashtag Stop Sarcoidosis, and hashtag World Sarc Day, all one word, okay? And hashtag Stop Sarcoidosis, all one word. So the Sarc calendar, which I would normally do right now, uh, is pretty much on hold. There were so many events planned for April for Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, and that uh, obviously is not happening because we can't gather. We have to practice our social distancing. Uh, but as far as I know, as of right now when I'm speaking, the FSR summits in Miami on June 26th through the 28th, and Portland, Oregon from uh, September 11th through the 13th are still on. Frank Rivera, who was the uh, guest in episode three, has a virtual support group online through his website, Stop at uh, it's sarcoidosisoflongisland.org, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. And then, of course, there is the Inspire page, which is a uh, forum that is uh, put on by the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. It's at uh, inspire.com slash group slash stop sarcoidosis. Uh, it's a long, it's a long one. I'm not even going to 
what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes. But this is a great forum where people can talk about uh, their symptoms. They can talk about their, their medications and the side effects, which is one of my favorite topics. I'm taking methotrexate and I'm taking uh, Humira. Uh, and the methotrexate has caused a lot of side effects. And last year, uh, I was taking cytoxin and prednisone, everybody's favorite. Um, so, you know, if you want to go in there and find out, man, I'm not feeling too good right now, especially with COVID-19. Uh, and it turns out methotrexate, uh, some of the side effects, like a dry hacking cough, for instance, exactly mirror COVID-19. I was driving myself nuts last week. Go on to the forum Talk to your fellow SARC patients, hear what they have to say. And then the same would be true for triggers and flare-ups, wellness and lifestyle, just day-to-day living with sarcoidosis, emotional support. Uh, Also, there's a a thread in here for caregivers and loved ones, caretakers, uh, and then just a a place where you can stay up to date. And And then there's another category for navigating relationships. So all of that is right there on the FSR's website under Inspire. And again, there is a link in the show notes, but I think that could be a really valuable resource. Uh, And I'm quite sure that Jim is one of the people who either is or has been uh, helping to uh, be one of the people who uh, monitors the forum and and helps helps provide information uh, under Inspire. And I'm 99% 99% sure that that's one of the things he mentioned in our interview a couple of days ago, but uh, you'll hear it for yourself here coming up in just a moment. Also, the uh, Living Rare, Living Stronger Patient and Family Forum, originally set for May 14th through the 16th in Cleveland, that's been postponed until July 18th through the 20th because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The event sponsor is a group that I'm learning more and more about, the National Organization for Rare Disorders called NORD, and they will be, uh, that'll be taking place at the Renaissance Cleveland Hotel. And again, there will be a link in the show notes. And then the other thing I would remind you and ask you to do is to watch the Sark Fighter Facebook page for updates and info uh, and to uh, stop by and like the page to share your stories there, your comments and your photos. And please do share uh, the uh, the Facebook page and share the link to the Sark Fighter podcast. Uh, help me spread the word. So COVID-19, where are we? Well, as of right now, and these numbers uh, are fairly current, uh, we passed 20,000 deaths in the United States uh, as of Saturday, which is as I'm speaking yesterday. And as you're listening to this on, uh, if you're listening on Monday, it would be 20 days ago. So now the United States leads the world in terms of sarcoidosis deaths. Uh, that's not good news. Dr. Anthony Fauci says that we should have started this earlier. This is a big report from NBC News. Uh, They realized the need for social distancing uh, several weeks before the country went to it. And, but, you know, again, I'm not sure, I'm not sure anybody would have believed him until we started seeing just how serious this was. Uh, you get medical experts, uh, if they had called for the same social distancing, and you hear this comparison all the time, so forgive me, but for the flu, would they have 
shut down all the stores, all of our businesses, all of our schools, the NBA season? Probably not. Uh, we had to kind of get a taste of it before everybody said, all right, let's do it. And I think even if the president, and I'm not defending the president, but even if the president had stepped forward and said, I got some, some people here that are very concerned about this. We've seen what has happened in China uh, and we're going to do it here. I, I don't know if anybody would have believed it. Uh, certainly we, we believe it now. And uh, yes, yes, if we had started all of these isolation techniques sooner, we could have avoided uh, maybe some of this, uh, flattened the curve even more, as it were. But um, we are where we are, which is exactly what Dr. Fauci says. But that's one of the headlines that I'm looking at right now today. And then the other emerging story is the disproportionately large number of minorities uh, who have this and who are dying from it. And uh, there are a number of reasons. Underlying health conditions, which is one of the things that sarcoidosis patients face. Uh, lifestyle habits are some of the things that have men been mentioned by the media um, and, and various other things, uh, which I'm not going to go into. That could probably be uh, a podcast on its own, although I don't know how I could relate that directly to sarcoidosis other than to say that the fact that there are large numbers of African-Americans who have sarcoidosis, and so therefore it would be of great concern uh, within uh, the sarcoidosis sector. Um, but obviously that is an emerging story, and I think we're, we're just beginning to hear uh, the, what will be. We're at the tip of the iceberg for what we're going to hear about that. Let's leave it at that. All of that is a way of introducing Jim Kuhn today, who lives in Cincinnati. Uh, sarcoidosis forced Jim into retirement a few years ago. He is sheltering at home and he is taking every measure that you can imagine to stay safe from this virus. Now, I met Jim in Chevy Chase, Maryland at the board, uh, not the board of advocates, but at the advocates annual meeting in early 2020. Uh, it was soon apparent to me that he's sort of a leader among that group. He's done a lot of public speaking about sarcoidosis and he reached out to me online and said, "Hey, John, do you want to you want to talk to me because I've got I've got some thoughts on this. Uh, some of the things that I'm doing uh, is what are things that other SARC patients either should be doing or they're doing it and it's driving them nuts, or they're wondering if they're doing it right. And I'd like to come on and talk about that. And I'll, of course, he's also talking about his fight with sarcoidosis. So uh, here, without further ado, is my interview with Jim Cooper. Joining me now on the Sark Fighter podcast is Jim Kuhn, uh, who also uh, has sarcoidosis, and he's uh, here today. He's going to be talking a little bit about uh, how sarcoidosis and COVID-19 affect one another, people with chronic disease, and he's joining us today from his home in Southern Ohio. Jim, welcome. Thank you, John. I appreciate you having me here. So uh, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your background with sarcoidosis, and then we'll back into that and, and take a look at how uh, SARC patients really need to be careful with COVID-19. Sure. Well, I, uh, I was diagnosed with my first rare disease, Sjogren's syndrome, about 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, and it was pretty mild at that point in time. And I was uh, working full time as a global uh, executive in technology for an international company. 
shortly after that, I, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and a couple other um, rheumatological diseases. And then six years ago, I was finally diagnosed with sarcoidosis after a couple years of misdiagnosis. Uh, first, it looked like lymphoma because I have masses in my chest uh, and lesions in my lungs and my lymph nodes were inflamed. Uh, but through a biopsy, they identified it as sarcoidosis. And so it started in my lungs and lymph nodes, uh, but then quickly spread to my eyes and uh, my skin. Uh, and then just as of last year, uh, it, uh, I was diagnosed with neurosarcoidosis uh, in my neural system. Uh, I suffer, uh, as many uh, sarcoidosis patients do, with chronic pain and chronic fatigue. Uh, my diseases have left me 100% disabled now. I was forced to medically retire a couple years ago. So uh, I am uh, one of the more complex cases of sarcoidosis. So uh, I'm glad I have an opportunity to chat with you this morning. Well, I appreciate you uh, sharing your story. And it's, uh, uh, it's brave of you to put all of this out there. So uh, really, it's, it's very much appreciated. And you have spoken at uh, numerous conferences, have you not, about your situation? I have. Uh, because of uh, my involvement with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, uh, they have given me the opportunity to provide a patient perspective. Uh, normally at uh, their patient seminars, they have doctors and medical personnel come in and talk about the technical. Uh, but beginning last year, I've been able to provide the patient perspective and, and what this disease does to uh, myself and my family and, uh, and those around me. So it's been a great opportunity. All right. Well, today we want to talk about how all of this relates to COVID-19. You told me that you had been uh, in self-isolation for three weeks. Yeah, I, I think I've just finished my third week, maybe going on fourth week. Uh, because I am immune compromised and uh, I am 60 years old now, so I fall into that high-risk group. Uh, my wife and I have decided I, I just better hunker down. So, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been housebound for quite a time now. And let's go over, because the immune compromised primarily comes from the drugs that all of us SARC warriors, SARC fighters are, are taking. And, and you've got a, a little bit of a list there that might resonate with some of the people who are listening. So it, would you mind sharing that list? Sure. I, uh, for my Sjogren's syndrome and sarcoidosis, I take a very well-known drug today, Plaquenil, also known as hydroxychloroquine, which has been in the news these days. It started out uh, 70 years ago as an anti-malarial drug, but uh, it was found with patients with lupus that uh, it helped them. And my Sjogren's uh, syndrome is just right next to lupus on the autoimmune spectrum. So I take that, uh, and that's critical for uh, keeping my uh, immune system in check. I also uh, am taking uh, Otesla on an experimental basis for, uh, for sarcoidosis. I take uh, a host of pain medications to manage uh, my pain from, um, now I forget, because uh, my neural system, uh, neural sarcoidosis causes brain fog, and that's uh -huh. one of my issues. <laughs> I, trust uh, me. I, I have a fentanyl uh, quite uh, a bit at the uh, highest dose uh, 
uh, provided. And I also am taking, uh, this is very interesting, I am taking um, low-dose naltroxone, which uh, naltroxone is also known as Narcan, uh, and that's uh, used at high doses to bring people back from uh, opium overdoses. Yeah. But they have found through experiments that at a low dose, uh, it actually helps block the pain receptors. So um, I am uh, about a month four on that and showing some promise. It, it does help. So my pain's basically been in check until late evenings. My body beats itself up during the day. And, uh, and by evening, I, I have to start medicating pretty heavily. Man, I'll tell you. All right, so that's a, that's a lengthy list. I take the gabapentin, and, yeah. and uh, uh, the listeners who've heard my story know that, uh, that I do have the brain fog <laughs> occasionally <laughs> as well. Uh, I'm taking uh, Humira and methotrexate right now. So um, fortunately, I've been able to keep on working. And so I have not been staring at the same four walls of my house as, as you have been, but a lot of people are. And one of the things that you wanted to talk about today is how do you deal with that? Yeah, you know, uh, in addition to my role with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, um, also known as FSR, FSR uh, has a... Um, a web forum on the, on the group Inspire, inspire.com, and there's a sarcoidosis forum that I help moderate on a daily basis. So um, that helps me uh, help others uh, who are facing this disease. And obviously in the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of people who are uh, going on that board and asking uh, a lot of questions. So. They're asking, hey, what do I do if this or if that or with this disease or that disease? And what can I do if I have X or Y? But really, it comes down to their key question. The third question really is, am I going to be all right? And, and nobody can really uh, answer that, that question. Um, so that actually is my first uh, recommendation for those of us who are stuck is join some type of virtual support group. Uh, many areas have local support groups, and they meet via Facebook Live. Uh, some even have uh, websites. Uh, you can Google uh, local area support groups for your disease, and it should pull up a list. Or, again, I'll plug FSR. Uh, they have lists of nationwide support groups in, in many cities. Um, support groups are great. Uh, even if you don't get involved, you can watch, but I do recommend people to get involved because first of all, it gives you a voice and you're able to vocalize your concerns, whatever they are. Um, something that's important to someone else may not be so important to me today, uh, but it is to them. And being able to vocalize your concern is, uh, is, a, is a very big help. The second of all, uh, and this is even if you don't get involved, you're able to see other people out there with the same concerns, same diseases as you, and you know that you're not alone. Uh, rare diseases and chronic diseases have a tendency to make us isolated and feel like we are all alone. So joining the support group is really a great idea. Uh, the second is uh, find a passion, and a lot of people won't do this until they're forced to, but find a passion that, that you can do during your isolation. 
my wife has started painting on her tablet, uh, kind of a paint by numbers thing, but she absolutely loves it. Um, I have started a little bit of gardening uh, here in the Midwest. Uh, we actually still have a frost warning tonight, but I've started planting some seeds uh, out on my patio and was able to get out and work in the sunshine a, a few minutes a couple days ago. Uh, some people like crosswords, some people like cooking, some people um, like coloring, it, it doesn't matter, but find something that you can do just for uh, even short periods during the day and that way you feel like you've accomplished something. And then I, I think uh, one thing I just picked up on this week is the need to intentionally socialize. So take a walk in your neighborhood if, if you're able to, of course, keeping a social distance. If you're not, uh, sit on your porch or stand in your window and wave at people going by so uh, you know you're not alone in your house and you know you're not alone on your street. Um, and I have a tip that came from my mom all through me growing up. Uh, whenever I would feel sorry for myself, she'd say, Jim, the, the best way to help yourself is to help someone else. So uh, I recommend people to pick up the phone and, and call a friend call a neighbor and just say, hey, how you doing? I was thinking about you. And, um, or get onto your, your uh, support group and chat with someone and saying, hey, uh, I see you have X, Y, Z, you know, uh, how's that working for you? And then I also recommend some people, uh, or most people, if you can participate in, um, in live webinars, uh, there's a lot going on these days. Uh, if you belong to, Instagram or uh, Facebook or any other social media, you see a lot of opportunities for instant meetings or Zoom meetings. Zoom is one of the brands. And uh, my wife and I go to church uh, every week in Zoom meetings. Uh, honestly, we have family meetings. My family's very close and we're not able to see each other. So tomorrow afternoon, we're having a, our Easter Zoom family meeting and family time. So find these opportunities. I know tonight, uh, on Good Friday night, uh, whenever, when we're recording this, or there's a lot of uh, joyous celebrations this evening. And uh, so again, you can just Google, hey, what, uh, what Zoom meetings are available today? So those are kind of the key things I think to, that, that we can do as chronic disease patients who are housebound during this time, not to, not to go off the deep end. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Well, we're seeing lots of stories of people on the news doing some of those things that you've recommended. Uh, I've, I have been so fortunate that uh, the weather has been good and we've been able to get outside. I enjoy doing, like, for instance, yard work. You talked about gardening. Uh, and you're, I'm in uh, western Virginia and you're in southern Ohio, so I think our weather is probably pretty similar. You're, you're a little bit north of me, but uh, probably pretty similar. And it's, it, for me, it's, it's not so much, I, I think the socializing is important, but I also think it's, uh, it's important for me to get outside, just not be yeah. in, in the house itself. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. If you're an outside person, man, you got to get outside. And, and I know John, I, I was stalking you on Facebook and I, I saw you, you, uh, you, landed a few, uh, what was it, speckled trout earlier this week? Or, they were uh, brook trout, yeah. Brook mm -hmm. trout, uh, yeah. I, I love to fish, and, uh, and we used to live in North Georgia where uh, the streams were full of, of trout, and I, I really miss that. There's not much here in, 
in southern Ohio, the uh, Department of Natural Resources does stock, but uh, they, they run out pretty fast. Yeah, now this, uh, where I was, uh, there were no other people around, which is, uh, I went up into the uh, Washington and Jefferson National Forest on a, a trail. I had done a story several years ago with a researcher who uh, tracks the rattlesnake population up there. And uh, on the way to these big ledges up on top of the mountain where we were, uh, where we found the rattlesnakes, uh, well below their territory, there was this stream, and I made a mental note. I'm, I'm going back there someday to see if I can sample the trout population, and it turned out to be, it turned out to be pretty strong. It was, a, it was a pretty fun and easy day of fishing for about a, a three-mile hike, so not too bad. You know, fishing is one of those great self-isolation things, so, uh, but you don't feel like you're isolated because you're, you're in your zen, you're in your, your zone for, uh, for fishing, so you don't feel like it. I know my wife could just sit out on our patio in the sun and not do anything. Um, I, I can't do that. I have to be doing something, so, you know, I pit her around the yard and, and like gardening, and, uh, and we, can, we can talk outside, so, yeah. The sunshine is good medicine. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I, I want to ask you a question, and neither one of us is a doctor. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, but you've been talking to a lot of people about this. Um, you have two of the top sarcoidosis doctors in the United States working on, on your care team. And I, of course, I've been consuming the news right and left. Uh, and I've been hearing some discussion of the fact that what's happening when people get COVID-19 is the body's immune response has been what actually damages their lungs and can result in fatalities. And so there could almost be an inverse situation here where these drugs that SARC patients are taking, which flatten the immune response, might a make you more susceptible to getting the COVID virus, but then on the back end might keep your body from hurting itself by responding to it. Does that make sense? Have you heard anything to that extent? Yeah, it really does. Uh, initially, uh, sarcoidosis patients, eighty uh, percent of which have it in their lungs, um, our lungs are scarred, and uh, we can't take in as much oxygen as uh, as most. Uh, and that's what COVID-19 does to lungs. It, it blocks the air sac. Mm -hmm. But you're right, with, uh, with our medicines uh, putting a damper on our immune system, which normally during the day, it just goes haywire. It, it's fighting good cells. It's fighting bad cells. So uh, we do get a little bit of a benefit. And I don't think there's been enough studies, although uh, there was a research uh, from a, a global research organization uh, started a survey just Two, uh, two days ago with sarcoidosis patients and COVID-19 and, and understanding uh, what might be happening so far to get some early results. But uh, I think it's true. If, uh, if we can make it through the other uh, damaging to the body and uh, the fever infection part, uh, I think the recovery should be better, at least it makes sense, but uh, nothing scientific yet. Okay, very good. Um, if you would send me the uh, 
notes or a link or whatever, whatever you know about that study, I'll be happy to put it in the show notes with this podcast and then listeners could, could click on that. So um, what do you, I've got a couple more questions that I'm dying to ask you. First of all, uh, I want to go back to something you said before we hit the record button today. What precautions are you taking right now even though you're sheltering in place, as it were, you, you mentioned, for instance, you're, you're wiping down anything that comes in the house. Are you, are you at, what does that look like? How are you doing that? Yeah, you know, three weeks ago, um, even though I decided to shelter in place and, and take precautions, um, we were still pretty casual, um, you know, bringing the groceries in. And uh, once a week, I'd go out for car rides. And, um, but as this disease has gone longer and longer. Uh, we've been ratcheting up our, our our precautions. So now we order groceries online. My wife picks them up, um, and then washes her hands or purels her hands, brings them home. And the first thing is she separates them into um, shelf stable items, and they stay in the garage for uh, two to three days. So things that ordinarily would just go in the pantry. Um, they stay in the garage for a couple of days, and that's uh, that's what the experts say. Uh, the disease can't live on a surface longer than than that. Um, right. The items that are fresh and need to be brought in, my wife brings those in. Um, we don't use uh, bags from the the grocery store. We use our own uh, linen bags. So she unpacks those, um, wipes down the linen bags, and puts those away. Uh, and then wipes down with antimicrobial uh, and disinfectant cloths everything that comes in, every package, every piece of fruit, every banana. Um, so everything gets wiped down, and then she wipes down the kitchen counters, everything that she might have touched, and, and then I'm allowed to, to come into that secure area. It's almost like she treats it as the kitchen's the operating room, and it's got to be absolutely free of any germs before I can, I can come into the room. Wow. That, first of all, let's nominate your wife for sainthood. Oh, she is. She is amazing. She is amazing. She is my principal caretaker. She had to retire last year to, to, to provide more care for me that, that I needed. And uh, yeah, she is just, uh, she's a saint. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that, that seems like a lot of effort. Uh, and yet, it also seems like it makes sense. You know, it, it does, but um, a lot of this is just starting to sink in now, how severe this is, because we still have this, uh, this notion, oh, we're out of bread. Let me just run up the street and grab another loaf of bread, and I'll be right back. You know, we'll go to the convenience store, but uh, it's really not that easy anymore, and so everything has to be more thoughtful, more planful. Uh, I don't know in the next week when I ratchet the the precautions even further. I'm not really sure what that might look like. I, I know you've been on these forums, you've been on Inspire and talking to a lot of other SARC patients. Uh, are they taking those same kinds of precautions or are they wondering if they need to? Where Where is the rest of the SARC population with respect to this? Um, my specialty is I, I like to deal with uh, the new people coming in and uh, and counsel them. So they're really having those questions of, gosh, what should I do? And, um, you know, and a lot of it depends, are they working or not working? Uh, 
Are they on medications or not on medications? So there's a lot of information gathering, uh, but mostly I put out the same information. First of all, it's the CDC information. Uh, wash your hands, take precautions, uh, social distancing, uh, and, um, and other good hygiene methods. Uh, and then also then check with your, what, with your doctor, what does your doctor say? But yeah, people are frightened um, because sarcoidosis is so unknown. There's not a whole lot of information available for it. Um, people have fear of the unknown. So that allows uh, a lot of different ideas in their head. So uh, I've talked quite a few people down off the ledge over the last couple of weeks uh, that are just frightened. Uh, it's a very scary time. Well, it is. And, and I will tell you that, uh, for instance, the, si the side effects of methotrexate mirror the onset of COVID-19. Dry hacking cough, trouble breathing, uh, fatigue. And I had to spend a pretty good solid Sunday convincing myself I didn't have COVID-19, that it was just the methotrexate. Yeah, I used to uh, give self-injections of methotrexate a, a couple years ago, and I would do it on Fridays uh, because I knew um, that I would basically have a 24-hour flu, yeah. right. fever, night sweats, uh, aches and pains, chills. Uh, and then kind of by Sunday morning, I was ready to, to go to church again. Um, so you got to figure out what your time is for optimal. Well, well, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I, I'm giving myself the, uh, the injection and I'm only, I think I've done it for three weeks now. So it's all very new to me. Uh, and one of the side effects for me, and I'm sure for a lot of our listeners is, is the fatigue, but then all of a sudden I get this dry hacking cough. And that's one of the very first things that they tell you to, uh, to watch out for with the COVID-19, with the coronavirus. And I thought, uh-oh, oh, crap, here it comes. Uh, but it went away. Um, and I never did get the fever, but I was taking my temperature and all that. So um, I did, I did uh, stay home from work one day, not because I didn't feel like I could work, but because I thought, well, if this is the onset, the last thing I want to do is expose my co-workers because uh, we are now termed in the media first informers. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're in that group of essential employees that are supposed exactly. to go to work. And we have taken um, amazing links to keep people separate in the newsroom and to uh, send home everybody that can do any part of their job from home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, we don't have at the local television station level, the ability to do what the networks are doing, where you see the anchors who are like on the Today Show, who are home in their living rooms or their dens or basements or whatever. Uh, we, we just don't have enough equipment to go around to do that. So, um, so I'm going in and, and anchoring from the studio and I, I have to go to work. But I did, I was concerned enough that I called in sick uh, one day just to say, hey, just in case, let me, let me monitor this. And it's scary. Yeah, it is scary. And, and I appreciate you taking the extra caution and not going in. Um, one other thing I see on, on the forums are people are angry at others that they see who are not abiding uh, by social uh, networking and distancing and just uh, ignoring the cautions. Uh, 
because for us, it, uh, us rare disease people, it, it could be a death sentence for us. Uh, just the next people that we make contact with could be that person. So people aren't really thinking uh, of others when they, they get together or, you know, here yesterday there was a group of teenage boys just playing basketball together, uh, you know, sweating and, and bumping into each other and uh, they just weren't thinking. Yeah, I've I've actually seen that several times. Uh, I go out on my bike rides. I'm all by myself, and um, but I've ridden past some playgrounds, and there they are out playing ball. And I'm thinking, how can this be in in this environment? Jim, I want to just ask you uh, b- before we go. Um, you had mentioned the physical impacts to chronic disease patients as being one of the things that you want to talk about. If you had a chance to address uh, your thoughts on that. Sufficiently. Just a couple other items. Uh, the first would be around the drug Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine. Uh, this is a critical ju- drug for most sarcoidosis patients. It, uh, it is the, the number one go-to drug because uh, it has limited side effects for us at the dosage we take. Uh, it is more risky at higher doses, um, but it's an alternative to placing us on steroids, which actually work better, but they have a higher um, side effect ratio. So um, for years, us patients have had a, a nice supply of this Plaquenil all to ourselves, us and malaria patients. Uh, but just last week, uh, the government uh, ordered 32 million doses of this drug uh, and uh, I saw on TV on I think Saturday or Sunday night's president's uh, press conference that uh, they, uh, they landed three jets full of this drug. So what that has done is put constraints on the supply chain of this drug. And I'm already hearing from friends and other people I uh, interact with that uh, they're seeing shortages. They're seeing pharmacies and insurance companies requiring a higher level of authorization, uh, and uh, sometimes they've, they've been denied or uh, only given a two-week supply out of their 90-week supply. That's and the, other is, the other is, um, in, and you may not think of this if you're not one of us rare disease or sarcoidosis patients. Um, so most of us have multiple uh, doctor or, or hospital or treatment visits every month. It, it seems like I have one once a week. Um, so these treatments and doctor visits have been delayed. So um, we fall uh, another week behind in our, our treatments uh, or follow-up. Um, and here's the interesting part is often this is the only time some patients get out uh, so they have reduced their socialization and therefore becoming even more isolated than they were before. So uh, it has kind of a, a social and mental aspect, aspect to it uh, as well. Oh, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and then hopefully um, this podcast will be one of the things that will maybe take people's minds off it uh, when they're not gardening or um, doing whatever it is that they do that that's 
you can only watch so many Netflix. So, yeah. you know, hopefully, hopefully this will, will give some comfort to some people that say that they, to, to know that they are not alone because that's what, what I hear from SARC yeah. patients. And I know that's what you've heard. Everybody feels like they're, they're suffering alone and now they can't even go see their doctor. And lo and behold, uh, now uh, some of the drugs that have been sort of reserved for uh, rare disease patients are uh, coming out into the mainstream and maybe in short supply. So it, it seems like it's hitting SARC patients from several different directions. Jim, anything else that, that you want to add today? Yeah, John, I, I really want to uh, honestly attack the elephant in the room. And, and that's the um, mental health aspect or emotional uh, impact of uh, the coronavirus and, um, and the isolation. Um, first of all, anxiety and depression are very, very common amongst chronic pain, chronic fatigue, chronic illness patients. Uh, it's not talked about enough, and honestly, it's been my goal to um, just open the window, pull back the curtains on this. Um, I uh, suffer from depression because of this disease. There's a rare form of PTSD that's, uh, that actually is common amongst people who have had traumatic uh, illness uh, incidents. And so the, the fear and uh, stress surrounding the current event, events with this virus are really just uh, acting as triggers to anxiety and depression. Uh, if you add on to that work and financial concerns, that just adds to it and it, it really starts to snowball. Uh, you know, I mentioned just earlier that the limited socialization um, just isolates uh, people even more, and, and that's very bad. Um, and I guess because people can't get out, uh, if you have a therapist, it's hard to get to a therapy. I'm very fortunate. My therapist just uh, got approved through all the hoops uh, to offer telehealth, and that was very good, but not everybody has that, and honestly, not all insurances really approve of that. Uh, I wrote my congressman, state and federal level, to, to try to get that improved. So. So it, uh, it is having a, a big, big impact. So I wanted to, to just throw that out there, John, because somebody might be listening and saying, yeah, I hear what you say, but um, you don't know what my problem is. I want, I want people with uh, depression, anxiety, or fear to know, hey, they're not alone. It's real. Uh, it's real for you. Uh, but there is help available. Jump on a support line. Uh, call an 800 number call a family or friend and just say, hey, I'm struggling in this area. Um, so, John, I appreciate you giving me just an extra minute to, to put that out there. Well, I think uh, I, that was an oversight on my part because that, uh, I know that that's, um, that's something we probably should have put right at the very beginning of this, but you got to wade into it from one direction or another. Uh, but that anxiety is, is so real. It is, uh, it's something that I'm sure a lot of people are suffering with and, and, some of the cures for that are the things that have been denied now because we can't get out. And so you just sit there with your own thoughts and they just cycle and cycle and cycle and it gets worse and worse and worse. It really is a slippery slope. Yeah. All right. Jim Coon, fellow uh, SARC fighter and uh, what are we advocates is our, our title yeah. for the, for FSR. Um, I appreciate you taking the time and please be safe and, continue to do whatever you need to do to keep yourself healthy. Thanks, John. I appreciate uh, what you do here and what you do uh, every week on the news, keeping us informed. And 
I hope uh, when this is all over, I'll be able to make a whole trip down and we can wet a line together. Let's do that. Uh, I know the perfect place and I promise you won't get bitten by a rattlesnake. Awesome. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Thank Jim. you, John. I appreciate it. So thanks to Jim for joining me on the Sark Fighter podcast. Uh, again, uh, this week we have a rare second guest. Normally each podcast has one guest, but we are in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. And I want to bring on Mindy Buchanan, who is the patient engagement manager for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And Mindy's got a, a really strong background in helping people. Uh, she's been with the foundation since 2019. But prior to that, she did a lot of work with cancer patients, in fact, juvenile cancer patients, who were going through what must be terrible. And I can speak to this just a little bit because uh, I had a sister when I was very young who actually passed from leukemia, and she did not have a bone marrow transplant. Um, but uh, it, it was just an awful time for my parents. And one of the things that they do now is they do these bone marrow transplants. And then after you've had a bone marrow transplant, you have to be in isolation. And I mean real isolation for 100 days. And it can make you nuts. It can make your caregiver nuts because there's not a whole lot that you can do during that time. I don't even think you can go outside. And there are a lot of coping techniques. And Mindy offered to come on and to talk about that and, and how uh, those of us with sarcoidosis who are like Jim, really isolating ourselves, uh, can help deal with that. So here now is Mindy Buchanan. Joining us now on the Sark Fighter podcast is uh, Mindy Buchanan with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And uh, Mindy, you're talking to us today from Chicago. Welcome. Thank you so much, John. I'm so pleased to be here. And you have some background in helping people who are stuck in isolation. And man, that is the whole world right now, but it's especially true. Of course, we're talking about COVID-19, but it's especially true for people with uh, immune compromised systems, which would be SARC patients. Uh, so I know you have some thoughts that you want to share about that. How do people deal with all this being by themselves-ness? <laughs> that is the question of the ages right now, right? Um, you know, I think my rule of thumb around this is that all of the things that you know about self-care kind of double down on that right now. <laughs> um, the things that you do to kind of help yourself get through stuff, you should still be doing all those things. Um, and because everyone is in the same boat, so you're particularly in the same in that boat because you are someone who's at high risk, not you personally, but you as people with sarcoidosis. Um, but everyone is in that boat. I'm in that boat with you, even though I'm not at high risk. So it's now the greatest time to kind of flex your fingers and get out and talk to people online, set up Zoom calls or video chats if you can. Um, talk to your neighbors through the windows um, and just kind of generally allow yourself to be open to the possibility of communicating in new ways so that you don't feel totally alone. Right. Now, I want to back up just a moment here because before you were dealing with those of us who have sarcoidosis, 
you have a history long before COVID-19 came around of helping patients who'd had bone marrow transplants. And they are extremely immune suppressed if there is such a thing. I, I guess there's varying degrees of it, but these are folks who just can't take the, you know, the first bacteria almost. Um, and so you've been helping people cope with this for a long time. What, what do you see as the signs of uh, someone who's been by themselves for too long or really have, uh, have had a hard time dealing with this? Yeah, I mean, certainly some major big signs uh, are things like feeling really low, um, feeling high anxiety, um, pacing, you know, that might be something I do when I'm feeling anxious as I pace. Um, but I think a lot of people start to get sort of this cabin fever. So all the things you kind of think about when you say like, I've got cabin fever, like you can't settle. Um, and a really good way to kind of get yourself to settle is to sort of think about the things that are ramping you up, give them some kind of form, and then think about the things, give equal time to the things that, that make you happy. So that that kind of becomes the bigger um, piece in what you're in what you're doing. But certainly low feelings. So if you know if you have family members who aren't reaching out, it's important to reach out to them, right? Because they might already be at that stage where they're feeling pretty low, that their anxiety has gotten the better of them, and they're feeling sad and isolated, and they're not able to reach out. And when you're in that low space, you're not the one who's reaching out. For sure, right? I mean, you, you need someone to take care of you at that point. Yeah. Right. So now, you, when you had one of your patients in, in the past who uh, had just had a bone marrow transplant, mm -hmm. how long would they have to be in isolation typically? A hundred days. hundred days. And it's extreme isolation. You can see people with masks, people can come over and see you, but in general, you're almost never allowed to have your pets. So that's a really difficult thing for a lot of folks. So not only you're isolated, now you've had your pets removed. Um, you might not be at home because you would need to stay close to what medical center you're at. So there's places that will host you, um, but you're now at, in some other space that doesn't belong to you. Um, and you can't eat any kind of like fresh, there's a lot of fresh foods you can't eat because of contamination possibilities. So, um, it is an extreme form of isolation, um, with people that have had bone marrow transplants. And, and what would you see would typically happen to somebody, uh, when they're about like halfway or three quarters of the way through that and they didn't think they were going to make it? <laughs> Um, you know, in those stages, it's really important at the beginning to kind of engage family in this process. Again, because we're, we're in a little bit different situation because everyone is isolating, right? So you as a family member are isolating, you as someone with sarcoidosis are isolating, and the bone marrow transplant space, um, you're the only one who's isolating. So, it's, so at that time, what you do is you kind of engage family members to create sort of structure around this person's isolation so that they have people checking in on them, they have someone helping them with food, they have support. So one of the things that's kind of lacking in this current pandemic is that people are without 
support, right? Because everyone's in the same boat. We're all dealing with the crisis. And so it's really hard to support other people when you don't feel supported, right? So there's this whole issue <laughs> that's currently going around um, where we're kind of grasping for support and we're not always finding it when we're reaching out. Yeah. So what are some coping mechanisms for that person who's all alone? They don't know what to do. They don't have their support network. Um, at least for the most part, sarcoidosis patients can have their pets, although there's been some indication that COVID-19 can live on their fur and that sort of thing. Um, but what, what are some of these coping mechanisms that people can do to get through this? Well, all of the, I mean, I would really sort of reference back to people's self-care practices. And if you don't have self-care practices, now is a really good time to get in that groove because you've got the time. Um, some self-care practices include um, journaling. So there's, there's a practice called morning pages where when you wake up in the morning, do not look at your phone, do not turn the TV on, do not turn your laptop on. Instead, grab your journal or your piece of paper or whatever it is that you like to write on. I'm a big fan of stationery, so I, I love journals. Um, and just free write, just free write what you want the day to be like. And it allows you to kind of center yourself for the day. And it also allows you to kind of understand what your needs are for the day. So it may be that you need to talk to somebody today and that's kind of what's most salient for you. That's the forefront of your mind when you wake up and you write that down. And then you can kind of, you know, direct your day in that way. Um, other kinds of mindfulness practices, especially when we're stuck in our homes, this was something I really recommended for a lot of the folks who had bone marrow transplants and that is creating a space if you can. Now, I know that one of some of these ideas are kind of privileged ideas, right? Like we, some of these things are, suggestions that come from having lots of space and time to do things. So um, take what you can and check the rest is my usual recommendation. Um, but what, what, what do you mean by that? Take what you can and chuck the rest. Yeah. So maybe, maybe um, for you, the middle of the day is a better time to write or to center yourself or do whatever. Um, I like to kind of come at it with my, these sort of suggestions are not written in stone. You can take them and augment them in whatever way is meaningful to you. Um, maybe it's not that you write it down. Maybe you turn your recorder on your phone um, and talk out loud, right? Maybe you have arthritis in your hands and writing isn't the easiest thing. So maybe recording yourself in the first thing in the morning is a better thing. Um, so that's what I mean by take what you can and check the rest. Like take what is meaningful or pulls at you and disregard the rest. You don't have to do everything. That's another point of self-care, right? Is that we are not trying to do all the things. Just start small, pick one thing, pick a part of a thing that is interesting or meaningful to you. Um, so one of the things I recommended folks who had bone marrow transplant to do, especially if they are living with someone else, but even if they're not, is to kind of create a space in their home that is meant for safety, emotional safety, um, and also sort of personal safety, um, where you can kind of just decompress and center yourself that isn't part of, you know, having to cook food or having to do laundry or any of the chores around the house, that is sort of separate from that. And I, I realize that not everybody has a space for that, but even if it's just a corner or a chair that you move in a new place, like, 
I had a patient once who lived in a studio apartment and she did live by herself, but so much of her studio apartment was lived in, like all of her activities were done there. Um, what we ended up doing for a solution was actually just moving one of her chairs that normally sat in a certain place to a new location in the studio apartment. Now it didn't have pillows or fluffy blankets. It didn't have all these sort of comfort things. It was just a chair sitting in a new place. And that's where she went. She was very purposeful here. She did not go there to do other things. She really went there for her safe and emotional safe space. So that's where she did a lot of her mindfulness practices. That's where she would um, do some journaling. And that became a refuge, even in a tiny space, because it wasn't used for anything else. It was only used for that time for herself. Um, and when you're stuck in your home, that, that's something to consider doing. I, I, you know, that, that sounds so simple. Um, just moving a chair and creating a space. Uh, you know, I live in a house on a cul-de-sac and, you know, we're empty nesters now. So we've got a couple extra bedrooms. So, that, man, I feel like I have a luxury <laughs> because we have that. Uh, but even for people who don't, that sounds like something that will work what um you know the mindfulness thing and the journaling thing uh those all sound great those have, have been things that i have always found sort of difficult to engage in mm -hmm. uh even though i have thought that it would help i've, I've had a hard time sort of pulling the trigger and making it go as a, as a sark patient or uh last year i was on some really heavy-duty medication to spend a lot of the year. I wasn't isolated, but I was in a funk. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, and I'm sure you've seen it over and over and over with, with other SARC patients, and I've heard it from other sarcoidosis patients. Um, but what do you think about uh, you know finding hobbies? Is that, that sounds sort of broad and maybe overly simplistic, but you know, like I've got fish tanks and I love it. And that, you know, when I go and I don't want a fish tank just to watch the fish, although I like that, but I've got a saltwater aquarium where I'm growing corals. So there's always something to fuss with. Yeah. But it takes my mind off of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, hobbies are a great way to engage your mind and engage your sort of meditative practices. Um, you know, I have a, I know a lot of folks who basically meditate in a non-traditional sense while they're gardening, right? Your mind is just in this space and you're out in nature and you're doing this thing and there's just this great practice in it. So I'm not a gardener. I kill plants. We never live. Um, I really try and I feel bad for killing them. So I just don't even try anymore. But I know that a lot of people love to garden and I think that there's some great ways to engage your mind and mindfulness practices within that context. Um, you know, try new things. I don't know if folks know about Etsy. Um, it's E S E T S Y. E T S Y. E T S Y. Right. Yep. Um, but there's lots of sort of right now, especially there are tons of like pretty cheap sort of do-it-yourself kits of trying something new. I ordered a. I've never done this before, but I ordered a a felting needlework kit, so I'm pretty excited to try that. Um, but just sort of doing things with your hands, keeping yourself engaged. And 
you know, sitting in front of the TV is perfectly fine and everyone's binging Netflix and whatnot. And sometimes we need a way to kind of take our mind sort of like, sort of think of our engaged mind as a hat. You just want to take it off sometimes and disengage. And that's perfectly great. The, the, the issue is that there needs to be sort of a time limit. There needs to be sort of like a, this isn't all I'm doing. Um, because that can sort of reinforce feelings of isolation and depression. Um, and that's not where any of us want to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you ever have um, one of these folks who'd had the bone marrow transplant or have you seen the sarcoidosis patient who, who literally couldn't get through the isolation or had a really bad bout with it? Um, I mean, with bone marrow transplants, if, you, if you're not able to get through it, so a lot of, so I should give the caveat that I wasn't seeing patients that were all over in the age ranges. They were between the ages of 15 and 39. So imagine being pretty young, getting stuck in the house, sort of doubles that anxiety of being in there. So what would happen most commonly with folks is that they'd break isolation. And that had some pretty terrible health effects. It could be life-threatening. Um, and there were people who would break it and would not have that problem. So it was hard to sort of reinforce with people because sometimes they would, you know, get away with it essentially. Um, but, but it was also the case that we had social workers on call for folks to talk to. Um, there was a dedicated social worker for people with bone marrow transplants. So, um, you know, if you are feeling like you're going to break, um, it's really important to reach out to someone. It's important for, you, for people to be reaching out to one another. So even if I'm not someone who's ready to break, I'm an introvert, so I'm perfectly happy being at home and isolated. It's not bothering me at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that also means that I have to kind of get outside of my introverted bubble and reach out to people to make sure that they're doing okay too. Because I'm, I'm doing okay. So it's important, it's my job, it's important for me to sort of reach out to those folks. So if you are someone who's doing okay, it's important that you're reaching out to folks often. Family members, friends, other sarcoidosis warriors, whoever it is, make sure that you're reaching out. If you haven't heard from someone for a few days, reach out to them. Right. What do you make of it? You know, we're, we're all learning how much that we as humans crave contact with other humans. That's a, a theme that we have in the news every single night now mm -hmm. uh, that we're reporting on, on my station. Um, and, and, but this is something that's been a reality for the folks you've been dealing with you know, for all of your professional career, I'm sure. Um, what, how much does it help to have Facebook or live chats or forums? Is that something you would recommend? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely recommend Zoom meetings if you can't, not, not specifically Zoom, but any of those chat meetings, FaceTime. Um, social media is a great way to stay connected with people, but it's also a way to kind of go down a really bad rabbit hole. So you, yeah. it's important to kind of um, center yourself a little bit before you engage in social media. Um, one of the things that I do is kind of think about before I start social media activities, I think to myself, what do I want to get out of this? Is it that I just want to see what my friends are doing? Is it that I'm looking up for a certain person and want to see how they're doing, if they post anything specific? Is it just that I want to scroll through the timeline um, and just kind of blank out on whatever's being put out there? If it's the uh, latter, I kind of give myself a time limit. Time yeah. limit for social media is kind of important. 
I'm struck by the fact that before COVID-19, there were all these studies that were out there that said the unhappiest people are the people who spend a lot of time on social media because everybody's just posting the best version of themselves. And so you're seeing your, you know, fellow uh, friends, alumni, uh, you know, high school classmates, whatever, and you're stuck at home and they're at the Grand Canyon or on vacation or they've got something fabulous happening in their life. And so everybody's feeling depressed all the time. Now flip that switch and we're in the COVID-19 scenario and everybody's stuck home and we're all saying, oh, do social media. It's a good way to interact with other humans. So it's, I think your advice is well-placed because it, it can be good, but it can be bad too. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important when you are in this sort of isolation stage to put purpose behind everything you're doing. What do I want to get out of X, Y, Z, right? And you don't have to be like really strict about it, but at the same time, having purpose behind your activities allows you to kind of recognize and name the thing that you're doing and why you're doing it, which also helps engage our minds. Um, there is a really good, and I'm happy to share this with you, um, John, if, if I don't know how people get links from you or not, but um, I can put them in the show notes. Oh, great. So there's a really great article in the Harvard business review. It's totally free for anybody during this time. And it talks about grief and how we're all sort of collectively, collectively grieving together. We're grieving um, because we have anxiety, we're grieving because we can't do the things that we want to do. Um, and it's just a really excellent article that allows people to kind of put a name to the, the many feelings that everyone's having right now. Um, and I think that that's a really great resource. And I think it's really important. One of the things that I talk about with patients, both patients who had bone marrow transplant and other types of cancer, but also people who have sarcoidosis is that it's important to name and to call out grief, right? When you get a diagnosis, when something in your life changes in a way that you didn't expect or want, um, it's okay and in fact important to grieve that thing, to grieve the things that you wanted to do next that you don't think you're gonna get to do, the person you were before, who you're now gonna have to figure out who you are now. Um, the grief is actually a really, really important piece of our lives that as a society in the U.S. in particular, we sort of relegate to the loss of a loved one, right? When someone dies, a pet dies, um, that's where we sort of sit grief and assume it stays there. But it's actually entwined in all of our spaces, whatever we're doing. Yeah, no, I, no, yeah, I agree. Let's see, one of my dogs just showed up here. <laughs> um, this is Pippa. Um, I have been grieving the loss of my health off and on uh, since 2016. And it seems like every time I get used to wherever I am, sarcoidosis decides it wants to reintroduce itself into my life in, a, in an even greater and more drastic way. And then I have to go through it all over again. Um, and I've had, I've had to accept the fact that I need to grieve over the loss of the things that I love to do. You know, I, I used to be a marathon runner. I used to play basketball. I can't do those things anymore. Uh, and that was how I kind of defined myself. So your advice is just admit it, deal with it, uh, and go through the process of dealing with it. Don't just internalize it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just a quiet time by yourself, I mean, I think these are really great things to work through if you do have a therapist. Um, uh, but also there are things you can work through on your own in that Harvard business article. Um, there is a link to the man who, who they interviewed about grief. He sort of has a whole grief website and he's, um, super educated in it and he's just a really great resource. Um, I also think like there's a part of one of the things that we did a training for patient advocates um, in DC was acknowledging the dualities. So what that means is sort of your high and your low. And I learned this through an organization called a fresh chapter. That's amazing. Um, it's, it's a, uh, a cancer organization. Um, but it's sort of, calling out your high and your low. Maybe it's your high of the day or your low of the day or the, your high of the year or your low of the year, whatever it is, um, to sort of acknowledge and pay respect to the duality of our lives, right? Nothing is always perfect and nothing is always the worst, right? So there's, there's this idea of kind of acknowledging both sides of the coin. And part of that is, part of that might be grief. But the other part of that might be the opportunity for something new. Maybe it's you're learning a new hobby or you did move your chair in your room or whatever it is. Um, it's sort of giving acknowledgement to both sides of that. Yeah, I remember that that session. That was, I think that was how we started out. Uh, maybe yeah. the very beginning or the, or, or the second day, I can't remember. But first day, it was the first, first day, day I asked you guys, yeah. Right, right. And uh, that was my first meeting with that group uh, of advocates. Uh, and I was, uh, I was really amazed at how many people said their high was being there with the other advocates and getting reacquainted. Uh, and by the end of the second day, I totally got it. <laughs> I totally got it. Yeah. And that's, that's been very helpful uh, as well. Uh, yeah, you know, for me, my highs are, uh, you know, my grandkids for sure. And uh, I think when, I, when we were there, my daughter-in-law was in labor and then since that meeting i now have grand twins boys yeah, so, yeah, um, but of course my low is that we can't go see them because of covid19 right right that's that's awful i've, I've been visiting them through the door um but at least you know at least they're local and and we're all, we've been doing the zoom meetings we've been doing everything that you've recommended and and i do think that's helped I really do. We had the whole family on, on Zoom the other night, all three of my uh, sons and their wives and grandkids, and, and it worked. It was last Friday night, so uh, it's been a week since we did that. We'll probably do it again this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, so Zoom meetings really work. One of the funny things is because I'm an introvert, I really didn't think I was that bad. I didn't feel like, I mean, I feel like I'm doing fine, but at the same time, I did a Zoom meeting for my book club, which contains like all of my family members. Um, like my mom and my cousin and my two best friends and aunt and stuff. And um, I came away from that meeting feeling like, wow, I didn't know how thirsty I was for this interaction. And I feel really sati satiated right now. So I think even if you think like you're doing perfectly fine, you don't need it, um, try it out because I think you might surprise yourself with um, how good it feels to actually talk and see someone else. Gotcha. Now, before I let you go, can you can you share what book that you had? Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> Talking to Strangers by Malcolm McDowell. Okay, all right. Did you like it? Um, I did like it. It was um, 
it, you know, it's a nonfiction book. So it, uh, it actually is a, the audio book was really good. It, it sort of plays out like a podcast. So I would actually recommend the audio book over reading the, the paper book in this case. I am a huge audiobook fan, so uh, I'll put that on my must-listen-to. Uh, 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 in fact, I just finished listening to my last book, which was The Lake House, last night. Really good, really good. Um, yeah, uh, you, you would like it. And the thing, I think it's like a 21-hour audiobook. Nice. So it takes up lots of drives back and forth to work for a long time. So anyway, I'll just throw that out there to the listeners. But it, was, it was good. Uh, Mindy, anything else that you want to add today? Yeah, just one quick thing, and that is um, to this is a, and this is sort of a, a really foundational method of coping, and that is to recognize and think about the things that you can control and the things that you can't, and being okay with the things that you can't. Right now, we all cannot control what's happening in our world, but what I can control is sticking by the recommendations of the experts and staying home and doing the things that I know need to get done. So recognizing that, being okay with it, it's okay for the duality. It's okay to be worried about the things that you can't control, but acknowledge that you can't control them and move on to the things that you can. Yeah, that'll, that'll cure a lot of anxiety right there. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if, you can actually, if you can actually do it. Yeah. Well, Mindy, thank thank you for joining me on the Sark Fighter podcast. Yeah, you're so you're super welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Mindy and to Jim. Their insights come at a time, man, when we all need them during this COVID nineteen crisis. I just want to wrap it up quickly and say once again, if you like the podcast, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating on Apple iTunes. Please share it on your social media and with your support groups and your online groups. Tell people about it if you are uh, at uh, if we ever get together again and we have the chance for person to person. Please, please, please stay safe. Listen to the medical professionals. Almost everyone with SARC is going to be in that group that has either underlying conditions or is immunosuppressed or both, uh, most likely both. Remember that April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. There is nothing wrong, even during this crisis, about reminding the world that there are other health issues out there beyond the coronavirus. Hopefully, this is going to plateau. The curve is going to peter out and we'll be back to life as normal. But Life is normal for those of us with sarcoidosis is not really normal, is it? So take April, take the opportunity while you're sitting home and shout it from the rooftops that April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month and make people aware of what's going on with this disease. We'll have another new episode next Monday. Until then, keep fighting.